The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Give the gift of choice with multi-store cards at giftcards.com. With multi-store cards, treat them to dinner, movies, or shopping on one convenient card. Featuring all your favorites like Wayfair, Ulta, and Cheesecake Factory, it's a gift card everyone will love. For last-minute gifting, choose the Happy Birthday or Happy to Say Thanks e-gift delivered straight to their inbox. Purchase multi-store cards today at www.giftcards.com slash multi-store. Welcome into the wild card, the post-wild card edition of the PFF Forecast. We're going to look ahead to the divisional round. Let's rock. Wild card weekend is in the books. The dogs ruled it, all of the games pretty close in terms of a spread before the game, and the game that had the biggest uh, spread, the biggest spread, ended up actually being the closest game. So, Eric, underdogs had a great week. What does that tell you about where the NFL is at right now? It's the the trend zone, right? So all four underdogs, if you got Seattle at plus two and a half, we had them at two, which is a push. Um, But if you got them at two and a half, all four underdogs covered this week. And then last year during the wild card round, if you remember, all four underdogs covered as well. Buffalo even covered at Jacksonville uh, last last, uh, season. So the last eight there. um, That would, I think, qualify as a trend zone, George. Um, because all four favorites covered in 16. So what I think it means about the league is absolutely nothing. I think it's just a, it was a fun week. I think we drew a decent amount of, you know, good competitive playoff teams. And even though in our opinion, one kind of mediocre team is still left in the playoffs, mostly all the good teams, I think advanced. All right. I was, I was hoping for something a little more. I, I get where you're going with that. But he, let me let me see if I can. Here's what I, I think it means something. Okay, I think it means that the market and people out there, fans, are still not able to grasp the importance of having the better quarterback. All of the teams that were underdogs here had the better quarterback, and that was the deciding factor in these games. So to me, the the fact that all the underdogs cover the you know the the Seahawks cover the final number obviously to me that's a sign that we still have a little ways to go in terms of people figuring out what really drives everything in, in these or not everything but the majority of things yeah, in terms of deciding these well, games unable to sort of unable to separate what are second order factors like defense and you know running game is not even a second order factor but all these things that I think people make narratives out of um, you know, before just simply looking at, you know, hey, when Philip Rivers is against Lamar Jackson, I don't really care what happened last game. I'm going to simulate the world 10,000 times, and, you know, we expect Philip Rivers to come out on top. Um, you know, a little bit of a hot take for you to say Nick Foles is better than Mitch Trubisky, I think, for Chicago fans, but for a rational person, you're absolutely right. And then, you know, the only thing that I think kept Seattle from winning outright in Dallas, having the better quarterback, is they opted not to use them very much. Well, that's a great point. I mean, it's really funny. You look at the quarterback performances in this in this week. The one that dropped back the least 
was Russell Wilson. And uh, that, that is comedic because he had uh, four big-time throws, didn't make a single turnover-worthy play. He was really good, as usual. Uh, was the second-highest-graded quarterback this week and yet was used the least often. Tyler, Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett was the best football player on that field. And, yeah, on Sunday, besides Russell Wilson. And, you know, he only had, you know, those four. I think all of those, the, the Wilson's four big-time throws were all the Tyler Lockett on deep shots. It seems like it would have been nice for them instead of ramming the, you know, the Chris Carsons and the and the uh, Rashard Pennies into the line of scrimmage. It would have been nice if they probably would have taken two or three more deep shots. They probably would have won. Yeah, that was sort of inexcusable. They averaged uh, under three yards per early down run. 10 yards, actually more than 10 yards per early down pass, yet they ran 65 negative of the time. Negative yards before contact. I mean, it was uh, just, it was a disaster. It was honestly kind of hard to watch. Um, really hard to watch. Dak was not great by any stretch. Made a couple of plays, though, when it did but, matter, and that was enough, right? And that should not be the case. It should You should not be in a situation, and this is what the Eagles were able to actually overcome although just by a fingernail basically Trubisky was bad in that game right he had three turnover worthy plays should have been picked story of the Eagles season this entire year they just can't make a you know a play on defense so he is able to get to this situation where he makes a couple of clutch throws and obviously if that kick goes through the narrative is Trubisky got over the hump, right? We yeah, finally, yeah. we've finally seen it. And it's, it's, it's hard to watch a game and remember plays that didn't happen, right? It is hard to do that. But he made some, some terrible throws, and he was clean all day. I mean, he, that, yeah. that line blocked as well as I have seen any line <laughs> block the Eagles' front this year, and he, he was still bad. So, um, you know. Trubisky but, was. He was unable to complete a pass over 10 yards downfield to the left of the numbers. Only two passes beyond the line of scrimmage there total. He had 5.8 yards per clean pocket pass attempt. That's bad. And it, a lot of his stuff was just noisy, you know, out of structure, kind of like, you know, uh, pressured stuff. He wasn't as effective as a runner. I do think if you want to give the Philadelphia Eagles some credit, it's that they did limit his, you know, his running ability, which has always been that thing. I think along with Dak where – you know, if you just look at passing stats alone, you think the guy's kind of a bum, but he does add value as a runner. Eagles took that away, and you know, if they hang on to an interception here or there, or recover that fumble uh, that Anthony Miller had at the end of the first half that no one recovered, and then yeah. ended up being incomplete and weird, uh, I think that it's a much different game. Obviously, if Nick Foles doesn't turn, actually have turn, he had two interceptions, only one turnover worthy play, if you remember, because. I believe it was Roquan Smallwood. Smith made an incredible yes, play. Yeah, Small, Smallwood dropped the ball into Roquan Smith's hand. So, you know, I just think obviously the Eagles, you know, because of their, you know, horseshoe status, they get over the fact that they were on the short end of the process results uh, curve, whereas the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Bears were on the advantageous end and still couldn't pull it out. So I think a, a just outcome at Soldier Field. Yeah, well, and to their credit, they put the ball in Nick Foles' hands to make plays when, you know, Can you imagine having amount. said that like this time two years ago? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he, he continued to make some, some big uh, plays throughout that game, made some good throws. It didn't, you know, for how 
for how good that Bears defense has been able to take advantage of quarterbacks at home, especially didn't allow them to do a ton of that um, in this game. So obviously they come away with the win. They're going to New Orleans next week. That should be a really interesting game, especially from kind of a, from a betting perspective. Um, unlike unlike this past week, that of the four games, that's the only one that is actually a rematch this year uh, of games that have actually happened. We had Seattle, obviously. Houston, uh, uh, Indianapolis had happened twice prior. So we're and Los Angeles and, and Baltimore this week, we have no rematches except for, uh, the game between the, uh, New Orleans saints and the Philadelphia Eagles, which was actually started by Carson Wentz. So in some sense, we have a completely, uh, free, you know, uh, slate that hasn't happened yet this season. This is correct. Um, I guess the only two games we didn't really talk about the Texans Colts game, this one seemed when I was when I took the Texans. So I took the Texans minus one. Immediately regretted it. My my worry was that I thought Frank Reich was a far superior coach to Bill O'Brien. I believe I said that multiple times last week. That bore out more than I ever could have imagined. It was disastrous, and the Texans O line never even showed up to play in the game. So that that was also an issue. But Andrew Luck was brilliant. The stats probably won't show that a whole lot uh, because he had, you know, he didn't have the greatest completion percentage, whatever, but made some really good throws, led all quarterbacks with five big time throws this week um, uh, in, in the wild card round and did not take a sack as he has not done in forever, you know, in a year, basically. Zero turnover worthy plays. Zero turnover worthy plays. He was brilliant uh ty hilton did show up and was healthy and it turned out deandre hopkins was the one that was not healthy so that flipped completely on its head the colts now go in to a game that this could be as high scoring a game maybe as we've seen weather that should be decent in kansas city um what do you take away from that colts texans game yeah so the one guy that was actually impressive for houston was kiki kuti right he was a guy that you know, was when we had them early in the season, I think week four, he was a thorn in their side, you know, playing his first game. He had been injured for a while. I think if you're Kansas City and you're looking at how to exploit Indianapolis's defense, I think that is, you know, that receiver that come that can kind of do all those things, come across on jet sweeps, you know, uh, make plays on those crossing routes. I think that's, that's something that, you know, Indianapolis struggled against. It really wasn't Hopkins. Hopkins you know, was banged up. But I also thought, you know, that corner to actually played extremely well, probably should have had an interception or two uh, in, in that game. So uh, I don't know, man, I think I, I was on the side of Indianapolis's defense isn't very talented, um, but well coached. And now I'm starting to lean a little bit more towards their well coached and at least mean, you know, average talented, which uh, might be enough to at least give Kansas City some resistance on Saturday. We'll talk about that game in just a second. The Ravens-Chargers game, this was the first of two big losses for the Defense Matters camp. Uh, and run, and generational. So they, it, they change. When, they, when you're wrong, you often change your, your facts. But it was the we need a generational running back. Now it's just you know, if you have a generational running scheme. Right. Um, and, and even but that took an L too. you don't even need a running scheme. You just need to run the ball repeatedly. If you just run the ball repeatedly, 
That's all that matters. Uh, Booger, God bestows upon you Booger, points. Booger and Bucky Brooks both said this this week, this or yesterday and today, um, that it's not the yards that matter; it's rushing attempts. That's all you really need to count. Um, if you get Booger rushing said the attempts, yards are a bonus. A bonus. They're just a bonus, man. It's just. Uh, God, I mean, what if you would have said that to your students when you were a teacher? Listen. It's just the writing on the on the page that counts. The the correct answer is the bonus. <laughs> the logical construction of the words is just a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Get lucky. Just put numbers down, please. I mean, you know, it's it's an A for effort. I mean, this is just heinously stupid, and um, it's amazing that we live but in it, 2019. People are eating Tide Pods, so I guess it shouldn't surprise us uh, that people can't figure out uh, correlation versus causation either. But um, this game was interesting because Lamar Jackson is getting booed. Everything looks like it's going to crap. He took seven sacks. Pretty inept passing the ball. Phillip Rivers was not great by any stretch of the imagination either. And so the the narrative is going to be that the Chargers' defense, you know, won this game. Right? It's just going to flip from no the Ravens. No one's ever put seven defensive backs on the field right. at the same time. Right. The funny thing about that is that the, the Chargers actually did this when they played the Ravens before. The difference yeah. was that for the Chargers, their offense got torpedoed by a, just abysmal play from the offensive line. Phillip Rivers made some really bad plays in that game. What we saw in this game was exactly what we talked about, which is you're not likely to see Phillip Rivers under pressure you know, 55% of the time like he was against Baltimore. Under pressure 12 of 35 times, just 34% right on his, his average for the season. He was terrible under pressure, but because he had more clean pockets he was able to play a little bit better and get 23 points on the board for the Chargers. So this was not this was not the Chargers defense being revolutionary. This was Lamar Jackson living on the edge of volatility, right? He has not been good at throwing the ball. He's made enough big throws for things to work out and has been able to get by with designed runs. But designed runs are not the most impossible thing to scheme against, shockingly. And all of a sudden, he was forced to throw the ball, and it didn't work out well for him. Yeah, he had he had only, I believe, eight yards on four designed runs. Uh, Gus Edwards, 2.9 yards per carry. Kenneth Dixon, 2.2. The other thing about the game that, you know, on Christmas weekend or whatever was that, you know, as you said, the Chargers, they threw a pick on the first play of the game. They got called for two offensive penalties on plays that would have been 30-yard plays on their second drive. And then in the second half of the game in the third quarter, they got called for holding on running plays on second down and long on consecutive drives, right? None of that. The only, you know, they got called for holding on the last drive, which kind of torpedoed their attempt to run out the clock. But it wasn't them this time, right? And this, remember, Lamar Jackson had a really nice scramble up the middle in Chargers territory, got called back with a hold. They kicked a field goal on a fourth and one from like the 30, and it was missed by, by Justin Tucker, right? So like the, the Ravens made a lot of mistakes, not only you know physically with like the holding penalty and everything, but mentally, I think, like what do you, I understand your kicker is great, but in theory, if you're a run first offense, you should be able to convert a fourth down and one in your opponent's territory, as opposed to kicking a field goal, especially given how few points you had all game that game. So it was kind of, you know, a, a head-scratching effort by Baltimore until the fourth quarter. And, and you know, it, 
when that happens, the better team with the better quarterback, as you said, wins. That's what tends to happen. The better quarterback and the better quarterback. Well, no, the team that runs the football more often, as Russell Baxter said here in the tweet that led up to Bucky Brooks, yeah. the team that finished with the most rushing plays won all four games. Two, two for two in rushing yards. Oh, God. Like I said, we have a real educational problem, education <laughs> problem in our country, and everyone that has... Let's just, can we a, just say football? the football fan bases are in kindergarten right now? Yeah. You just got to get them to high school. It's pretty brutal. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move on to the divisional games. How about that? Does that sound good? Do we, do we not want to talk about the Seahawks identity, or we'll wait till Thursday for that? It's a disaster. It's a dumpster fire. I mean, that, we we talked about it a little bit, right? Great job, know. Shoddy. I mean, look, it's it's uh, we we talked about this. This has been blown up on Twitter. There's no need for us to beat a dead horse. It's bad. That's true. Um, and, and we we you know we like the Seahawks. We That's like the, the Seahawks. We have everything we have pumped, about the Seahawks. We have pumped the Seahawks tires all season. We were yeah. uh, we were. You know, on their win total a little bit. We liked some of their Super Bowl odds at some points during the season. Ironically, we backed them twice this year in our picks column, and we had 0-0-2, so that we've, we've been exactly on them, I guess. But, the, yeah, the, the only thing we have issue is how much they run on early downs, right? And, and that was and that was the, the tweet by the, you know, the Jim Nagy or whatever, that that was their identity, and they had to stick to it. Yes, well, if your identity is losing football games, you will quickly we would, not have a job. So, you and I like them so much, we'd rather see them play this next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't. So. Look, I, I like to see great players play, and Russell Wilson happens to be a great player. And I'm saying that as a 49ers fan who really does not like Russell Wilson. <laughs> but he's a great football player, so... Um, it just so happens that he kind of kills my team quite often. All right, divisional round. Let's do this. Indy at KC. This is the first game of the weekend. Um, this is the Sunday night or now Saturday afternoon. The last NBC game of the season. Sort of excited. Um, the Colts have opened as six-point underdogs in Kansas City. Two good offenses going against each other. Luck and Mahomes, the two touchdown leaders this season. Both played incredibly well. Top five guys in terms of value, uh, in terms of PFF grade. So, six seems like a lot, given how good the Colts have played, but the Chiefs are really good. Yeah, this number open at five, so clearly being bet up on you know Kansas City. I think one of the things to, to think about is when you look at trying to handicap a game, home field advantage is higher in the playoffs. It's also higher when the home team is coming off of a bye. So, when you think about like what is home field advantage, probably more like four points this time of year. So that's kind of, you know, first off, when you think about that number, maybe it's thinking, okay, Kansas City is a point, two points better than Indianapolis. And I think it's a little bit easier to swallow there. Our number is probably more even around seven. And, you know, when I think about this game, I think, what did we talk about last week with Indy and Houston? It was that Houston's maybe a little bit overrated based upon who they played. Um, you know, the process that goes into a lot of that. As much as we like Indianapolis, they did have one of the easiest schedules in the NFL uh, this season, and especially down the stretch. So when that's, I think, factored in, I don't have a huge deal back in Kansas City here, but it is going to be tough because of how good, as we talked about earlier, Andrew Luck's playing. Here's the at five, I, It makes so much sense that it opened at five and is now six, because at five, 
KC is more than two points better than Indy. Indy has not put together a full game yet in you know the past couple of big games, right? They've had these two, you know, win and you're in against Tennessee, and then of course this game against Houston yesterday. And what they have not been able to do is sustain their offensive play throughout. Now I know there are road games; it's a road game as well. I don't expect Kansas City to have lulls. They're playing an indie defense that basically says, look, we're going to give you some easy throws. Well, if you tell Andy Reid, we're going to give you some easy throws, may God you know, have mercy on your soul because no one is better at running quick game than Kansas City. Pat Mahomes has the highest pass rating on quick game. They have the most success running screens. They run the most screens. It, you cannot stop. You can stop Houston by taking away kind of some of those deep shots, making Deshaun Watson beat you with accuracy. You will get pounded by Kansas City if you try and do that. And the the bye has always been, you know, the not it's not really Andy Reid's record after the bye, but what Kansas City has here in the bye is they get probably get Sammy Watkins back from injury. They probably get Eric Berry back, who had to rest in Week 17. They get their right guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif back, which. You know, obviously that's just a guard, but what Indianapolis really benefited from, you know, on Saturday was the fact that Houston's offensive line was a no-show, and they got pressure on Watson the entire game. I think none of those things, none of those benefits are going to be afforded to Indianapolis this week. Um, Kansas City, as you said, does a great job of scheming open throws. They're quick game. Like, they have this great combination of being able to blend the quick game to kill you and also Patrick Mahomes out of structure being brilliant. So, I think it is really going to be difficult for Indianapolis. The the question mark is obviously how does Kansas City's defense hold up? They were far better at home this year on a, you know, points per game and yards per play and all that kind of stuff perspective. However, their schedule at home was far weaker. So, uh, you know, I do think this is going to be a very high scoring game. And in in that kind of thing, you can get, uh, I think, a a lot of like what you saw, you know, Kansas City versus the 49ers early in the season or Kansas City versus you know, Cincinnati, where they just kind of run out, you know, all those things are possible. You know, I, I don't have an issue here until this number gets up to about a touchdown. This is definitely Lewis Riddick's least favorite game of the week, given the 56. Is he going to watch football anymore now that the Bears aren't in it? Probably not. I mean, what's he still believes in complimentary football and none of these teams play complimentary football, maybe except for Dallas. I guess now he's on the Dallas bandwagon. Oh, interesting. Uh, I, th- I, th- I thought there had to be another side of the ball to compliment. <laughs> I'm going to give you a point for that one. So I, I'm with you. I, I think um, and Kansas City is the right side, although I I guess this is – I think six is probably where it stays. I'm trying to think about where it moves at all. I, six seems like about where it will stay. I, Kansas City, um, it, you know, obviously is a, a great team, but a lot of people like Indy, the Frank Reich story, the Andrew Luck story. I'll say this. I think a part of this game that probably won't get talked about a ton, Kansas City's pass rush. The Indy is very good. Is very good. The, the Indy offensive line has played better. They're definitely better, but I don't know that they're necessarily great. And um, you know, Indianapolis, Indianapolis in terms of opponent ELO is 31st in the regular season behind in front of only Chicago. Yeah. So uh, that's a little bit of worry. Okay, the next game is the Saturday night game, Dallas at Los Angeles. I, ca- I can't believe that the Rams 
are going to somehow luck into getting the Dallas Cowboys. They went from potentially having to play the Bears. The Bears' defense matches up so well with the Rams. They've got, you know, the Rams have that bad taste in their mouth from playing them before. Now they get to play the Cow, excuse me, the Cowboys, and Philly gets, to, you know, has to go to New Orleans, or New Orleans has to play Philly. You do not want to try and get in the way of Nick Foles and Destiny. No. So this is, seems like a great spot for the Rams. The line is seven. Are you, given what Jared Goff has shown recently, can you make a, a case for the Rams? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think our, I think seven's a pretty good number here. However, the, the question that I have, all of our doubts about Dak and the Cowboys offense, I think, are founded. The question I have is, how much worse of a defense is the Dallas Cowboys than the Chicago Bears? Uh, I would say, at full strength, uh, uh, fairly decently. Okay. I, I, I think the, I I think at full strength the Bears don't don't have an area that you can pinpoint and say we want to attack. Now they do have an injury at at slot corner. McManus had played better, but with the Cowboys, there are still some areas that I think you can really like noticeably attack. And I don't think their front four is as good. So, so I, I, I sort of agree with you. I do think Byron Jones had a terrific season this yes, year. Absolutely. Um, and, and I, I think Anthony Brown's been okay in the slot, but I mean, Wuzier has not been good. Yeah, that right. So there are areas where you can attack them, but they're linebackers, and you know, late Vanderesh and you know uh, Jalen Smith. They they're playing so well that Sean Lee played four snaps the other day as a, a quote unquote starter in that defense. Uh, you know, those the the linebacker play, the quick athletic linebacker, you know, is something that I think the Bears have that the Cowboys also have. And, you know, obviously, you know, you have to stay disciplined against, you know, you have to like not bite on play action and all that kind of stuff. But I do think the, that that could pose a problem for the Rams. That being said, I have I have so much faith in Sean McVay out of a bye uh, against, you know, uh, the Dallas Cowboys and what they have, uh, you know, up top uh, that I don't necessarily. This is like my my stretching for something, but I don't think that's going to be nearly enough uh, to slow down the Rams. Uh, or to you know elevate Dak and company against that you know improving Rams defense. Seven is a tough one to swallow, though. Just knowing what we know about Jared Goff, a guy who he needs things to be all buttoned up and good to go in order for him to be at his best. He's not going to make a ton of plays outside of structure. So. That does worry me a little bit. I think seven is probably a pretty decent number. And so, I have trouble. It's just it's just going to be hard for me to lay more than seven or seven or more with Jared Goff. So so here's a, here's an angle I think that that might benefit you if you're if you're thinking about you know backing the Rams. Dallas is a public team. Uh, you know if it were a regular Sunday, I I don't think that this would change that much. You know, but you know, on, in the playoffs, these numbers do move with, you know, public sides. Yeah, this number's already at minus 112. You know, it, you could possibly buy this down to six and a half. You get yourself like minus 115, minus 120. I do think that that would be a more palatable play uh, than, than, you know, hanging or you know, laying the full seven. So that's just a thought. If this gets up to like, you know, Dallas plus seven, you know, minus 120, you might be able to come back on the Ram side and, and sell a, po- a, half, a half a point. 
let me ask you this. Is there any part of you that says, okay, getting a touchdown? No. I, I like Cowboys. Yeah. So, so that I'm absolutely not. I'm right there with you. There is a zero percent chance. I, I think no. To me, there there's, you know, ninety percent of the games are Rams victories. Some of them are closer games than you'd expect because Jared Goff makes a couple of bad plays. But there is a huge chunk of those games that are just Rams route. Like this is just from the get go, they are scoring all over the place. Dak is, you know, doing Dak things from the pocket, and it's just, so it's over I have, before it starts. I think the Cowboys have outscored. So the Cowboys are what nine and one or whatever, like eight and one in their last, uh, you know, nine games. But I, I think they've outscored their opponents by less than like a field goal per game. And I know a lot of that is losing to Indianapolis 23, nothing, but it's, they're, they're not exactly like, you know, they're, this isn't exactly the most impressive eight and one stretch that a team's ever had. I, I didn't even realize that they'd gone eight and one cause they have not been impressive at all. All right. Next game, the Sunday games, the, the early game, because this is what happens to the chargers. God, at everybody New hates the chargers. I, at New England, uh, New England favored by four and a half here. Philip Rivers versus Tom Brady. This is probably, uh, I think Indy Casey is the most exciting, but this game here has the most, you know, kind of history between the, the two quarterbacks or, you know, ageless wonders here. Both having uh, great seasons well into their late 30s and early 40s. This is interesting because we've seen this game happen before, and it's actually been competitive. A lot of people kind of write the Chargers off when they go east. So can they do it twice in two weeks? Yeah, so as you said, you know, the Chargers have been here before. In 2006, they were the one seed in the AFC that had the game in the bag, and the guy that intercepted it, Marlon McCree, fumbled it back to the Patriots. And that was the one where LaDainian Tomlinson got upset that the New England was dancing on their logo. Uh, the following year, Phillip Rivers played in the AFC Championship game on a torn ACL against the undefeated New England Patriots. Lost that game. I think it was pretty close. So, yeah, this has been a game. This, you know, 10 years later, the, this is a, a rivalry. Same two quarterbacks, uh, you know, getting together here. Uh, it's interesting, though, because, again, with this number being about four and a half, Home field advantage more in the playoffs. West Coast team traveling East Coast to play at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 10 o'clock their time. And then, yeah, obviously, the home team coming off of a bye. This number is implying that these two teams or these two coaches are rel- mostly equal on a neutral site. And I I just don't know. I, I, I think the Patriots are a little bit down this year, but that's really it, that doesn't jive with me as well as it probably should. No, this this one doesn't jive with me either. And the wild card weekend was the weekend of the underdog. I think, uh, with the exception of maybe the next game, th- this uh, th- there are a couple of favorites that that seem underpriced here. And maybe the fact that underdogs did so well in the wild card has something to do with that. People are quick to back the underdog. To me, it's just so hard. You play a very physical game in Baltimore. You go back to L.A., you then go to New England. This is this is tough. I mean, there's just no two ways to put it. And there is not 
there is no way that New England is not prepared for this game. The only tough thing is that New England just isn't that good. So they, you know, they could be perfectly prepared and you've got Gronk out there, you know, future right tackle playing tight end. <laughs> they don't really have that many weapons offensively, so it's going to be, you know, Tom Brady doing what Tom Brady does, which is making, you know, heroes out of no one. Um, and then defensively, eh, they're all right, but you know, the, the Chargers have a great offense. So yeah. it, well, the one thing the Chargers do struggle with, though, is protecting Rivers, right? Their offensive line does not grade well. They're in the bottom five. I think we, with Mike Renner does his, you know, article every week that, you know, we basically give him the ratings. You know, Chargers are down there, right? So if there's a team that's going to be able to take advantage of, of uh, you know, that shortcoming, it's obviously Belichick. Here's a question. The the Patriots do a terrific job generally of taking away another team's biggest strength, right? What is that for the Chargers? Uh, it, it's certainly Keenan Allen. Okay, because because that that's my first in, inclination. But what's been great about the Chargers this year is, and and actually in recent seasons, right? Because like Tyrell Williams, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. You know, uh, Melvin Gordon, they've all emerged, especially in the passing game. If the Patriots shut down Keenan Allen, I wonder, you know, how, how well, you know, how well that offense is going to be able to do, especially with the offensive line being weak. And unlike most years, the Patriots actually being able to somewhat generate a pass rush with some of the talent that they have up front. Look, I. I do think the Patriots are the right side. Our number's at five and a half, so mathematically it's the right side too. But let me say this. Uh, There may not be a bigger mismatch in terms of athleticism and current physical status than Derwin James versus Rob Gronkowski. And that's funny to say that because usually it's the other way around, right? You're like, oh, man, Gronk is just going to destroy this person. Derwin James is a freak, and I will take him – every single time against Gronk. There's no doubt about it. So I think he erases Gronk. That worries me a little bit. And then on the other side, I, I, I do think Keenan Allen is the number one guy. You've got some guys that can cover for New England, but Keenan Allen moves into the slot. So, you know, will they do what you're saying, which is maybe, hey, we focus on the other guys and we kind of have, you know, we say, okay, well, Keenan Allen's going to do well, but we're not going to let anyone else beat us. I don't know. It'll be really interesting. Do they put Svon Gilmore on Keenan Allen and just make him roam around with him. Um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, they've usually – so, like, in the Super Bowl when they played Julio, they actually had, like, what, Logan Ryan and, and some of the other – and uh, Eric Rowe uh, on on Julio, and then they basically matched up – they basically matched up, you know, uh, Malcolm Butler against, you know, the secondary receivers. Maybe they'll do that because, you know, Gilmore's a bigger guy, taller guy. Uh, who knows? That'll be one of the great mysteries of the week. Yeah, it, that that will be a really good game. I I do think the pitch to the right side. Okay, the Sunday late Sunday game, Saint Nick, big Saint Nick, going into New Orleans. The Saints heavily favored. It's amazing how much the market and how much Vegas loves the Saints. They are. <laughs> they're such a favorite to win the Super Bowl that if you had told me, I, I think they're what plus one fifty to win the Super yep. Bowl. Yep. We were talking about this uh, earlier this week. If you told me 
you said, okay, the Saints are going to be plus 150 to win the Super Bowl at some point in the playoffs. What point would that be? The only option would be... If they were playing the Chiefs. Playing the... I'm just kidding. You're a disaster. It's (laughs) 1230. I'm trying to get through this podcast, and you're trying to torpedo my mind. Only if they were you know, going into the championship game. It's yeah. ridiculous that they're plus 150 having not played a game yet. That just makes no sense to me. And nine is a lot. I know that it's in New Orleans. I know that home field advantage means a lot. But doesn't nine feel like a bit, uh, you know, a bit of a stretch? Yeah, so even, like, if you were in the AF- NFC championship game with odds of plus 150, that would basically imply that you had a 63% chance to win both of those games, which I think is a bit heavy. Um, but, you know, not only that, you're adding to that here. So that is that is a, a bit of a stretch, I would say. Um, last, I, So one of the things that's obviously baked into here is the last time that the Saints and the Eagles played in the Superdome, um, the Saints opened nine-point favorites. It got bet down to seven because people liked the Eagles. And, the, and then the Saints won like 48 to seven. And so, like, I think that's baked into a lot of people's minds, even though it shouldn't probably, because I think Philly was a mess back then. Uh, they've gotten a lot of things figured out at, you know, this, in the defensive backfield, and obviously they have a healthy quarterback now. Um, but I do think that's part of it. And I think the other thing is just the, it, the Saints have done a really good job of covering spreads this year. So uh, I think people who have backed them before are backing them continuously and um, I, I do think that's causing an inflated number. We would certainly be on the side of the Eagles slightly if, if, if the number was nine today. Yeah, our number right around eight at the moment. Uh, our look-ahead number right around eight. It, the tough thing about this is that there's no, there's no way you can forget that drumming in New Orleans. But to me, that almost makes me like the Eagles more because that's what this Eagles team thrives on man i mean they are they love being the underdog they are so good at it nick Nick Foles, the way he plays embodies it because he's he's not good on first and second down it's like he wants to put himself in a situation where he knows the world is against him you know all the probability in the world is saying that he should not be able to continually convert these third downs continually make big plays when he's getting hit and yet he's done it, and he did it in the playoffs last year. Well, you, you saw Peterson run on first and second down in that final drive near the goal line. I think part of that was to entice the Bears to have to take their timeouts, which was crucial, actually, at the end. Um, but I also think, in some ways, it was also to get Nick to third down without making a mistake. Yeah. I, I, it was incredible. I, I really couldn't believe how many times, even in this game against a defense that is really good at taking, you know, opportunities. It goes to show you good offense is so, going to beat great defense in most of these so situations. So since that game, so Philadelphia Eagles, they had 546 total yards, uh, 373 of them make, uh, in the, through the pass in Week 11. Here have been the passing yards for the Saints since that game. 162 against Atlanta on, on uh, Thanksgiving night, 111 against Dallas on the subsequent Thursday night, 198 in Tampa Bay, 191 in Carolina, 313 against the Steelers in that you know kind of crucial game to secure the one seed. And then obviously last week with Bridgewater, they only had 110. Um, so 
they have not been, you know, I said they were great at covering spreads. They were until basically the Dallas game uh, and, and have been hit or miss since. But their offense has not been this absolute juggernaut. They were helped out a lot by Pittsburgh by penalties. Uh, and, and so I, I agree with you. I do think that some of this stuff is a little bit inflated. I think we're, we're sort of like looking back at the glory days of the early season Saints. And that could come back to bite their backers in this spot if they if they were are going to lay nine points. The Eagles' defensive backfield is not nearly as big a dumpster fire as it was five six weeks ago. Yes, it is not. And I know Avante Maddox. I mean, he's going to watch those couple of double moves against Allen Robinson and have you know multiple seizures. But he was very good. He should have had a pick six uh, or at least an interception of Trubisky earlier. They've got linebackers that can cover and then here's the thing that that front four they can get pressure and if there's anything without blitzing without blitzing and if there is any way that you can hope to stymie drew Brees in situations that is the way that you've got to do it particularly as the rams showed over the past couple of seasons if you can do that from the interior you've really got a shot and there's no one better at that than Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. They you know, often kick Michael Bennett into the inside, too. So um, it, to me, nine is ridiculous. Uh, I don't think it's quite as ridiculous as the six and a half against Chicago was. It's kind of funny, right? Nine versus six and a half, Bears versus the Saints. I, mean, I think people have learned their lesson a little bit. But um, to, to me, this is just too high. I think it goes, um, you know, if anything, goes down a little bit because – uh, you know, the Eagles just have a little bit of that swagger that they had last season. The only thing that I'm concerned about is if I'm backing the Eagles here is Alvin Kamara. Since Mark Ingram came back into the fold, Alvin Kamara has not had a 100 yard game receiving or rushing. He's hasn't, hasn't gotten nearly as many touches on a sort of consistent basis Sean Payton's no dummy, right? He's got a week to prepare. I think, you know, egos go out the window here. I think if they have to ride Kamara the way that they did early in the season, I mean, he had 20 targets against Atlanta in that game that we, you know, he had 15 catches for 124 yards. Like, if they have to go to him that much in order to to win a game like this, you know, they might do it. And, and you know, as you said, like, the Eagles have some pretty good coverage linebackers, but it would take a guy like Kamara to probably exploit them. And and they really just have Michael Thomas at receiver. Yeah, that's another good point. You know, they this is this is the point that you make for Breeze in the MVP conversation. He does not have Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Chris Conley, all these guys that that the Chiefs have. After Michael Thomas, they're pretty barren. So uh, all these games, uh, the spreads here in these games be great. are all bigger than the wild card matchups. But, man, these these should be some really intriguing uh, intriguing games. Even if the Colts-Chiefs game, you know, the, the Chiefs could cover that spread and it could still be a great game. It's just that's the nature of how high scoring I think that'll be. And I think you say the same for um, the other two games prior to the Saints game, which I do think will be closer than nine. All right. Um, so if you had to take one game right now, if you had to bet one game right now, which one would it be? New England minus four and a half. Okay. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Eagles plus nine. Uh, but neither I, I, one of us, neither one of us wants to touch Kansas city to win their first 
home playoff game since 1993. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It, it is a little tough. It, I really am a I am a big Frank Reich believer. Okay, I, what he is, he he gets it so much as a leader of men and as someone calling plays and orchestrating an offense. That's never something that I really want to bet against. Uh, I do think well, Kansas and it City's does, the right they side. don't even need they don't even need that good of a coach because. You know, the, the Chuck Pagano Colts beat the Chiefs in the playoffs after being down 28. <laughs> uh, the Tony Dungy Colts beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead when the Chiefs were the two seed uh, after a bye. The Ted Marcher Broda Chiefs or Colts in 1995 beat the one-seeded Chiefs and Arrowhead. So th- this is a this is a exercising of demons for the Chiefs this week, and I just really don't want to get involved in the supernatural. Well, you took Tom Brady, so maybe you do. All right, we're going to be back on Thursday with our uh, normally scheduled weekly podcast, so make sure you check that out. Head to ProFootballFocus.com for all of the good content leading up to that. And, of course, if you have questions and you want them answered promptly, hit up Eric on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. No one better. No one better on Twitter to answer your questions, particularly if they're to do with why the Vikings uh, and Kirk Cousins uh, need to run the ball more or perhaps uh, need to protect Kirk Cousins less. Those are good questions to ask Eric. So make sure you do them. uh, And uh, we'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Looking for the perfect gift? Check out a Visa Virtual Account, available at giftcards.com. Gifting a Visa Virtual Account is easy. Simply select your gift amount, add optional personalization, and click Send. A thoughtful gift delivered in moments. As one of the world's most recognized brands, virtual Visa cards are secure, never expire, and work for any budget. They're also eco-friendly. Eliminate the need for plastic with a virtual gift delivered straight to their inbox. Whether you're shopping for a family member, friend, coworker, or client, a Visa Virtual Account is always the perfect fit. Visa Virtual Accounts can be used online anywhere Visa is accepted, so the possibilities are endless. They're convenient to send and easy to spend, making it the perfect gift for any occasion. Start gifting your virtual Visa today at www.giftcards.com virtual.